Welcome to the Perky Collar Radio Show, where we talk to entrepreneurs from across the globe to learn why they started their company, what mistakes they've made, what they learned from those mistakes, and they all share an incredible success story. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Perky Collar Radio Show. I'm your host, David M. Frankel. Today, I'm so excited to introduce to you Daniel Todd. He's a CEO of Influence Mobile. Good evening, Daniel. How are you this evening? Great, David. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. Well, I'm excited sure. to chat. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. So kick us off with the why. Why did you become the CEO of Influence Mobile? Sure. So uh, I actually started my first company in 1999, and we got into the desktop space sort of before Google and uh, Facebook had created toolbars. And that company did fairly well, but wasn't wasn't everything I had hoped it would be. And so a, a few years later, I decided to start this company with the goal of basically taking everything that I had learned there on both the mistakes and the good side and trying to turn it into a company that, uh, you know, focused on an area in business that I, I knew I could be successful in, which was building technology to influence people's future shopping. And so I launched the company initially as Affinity Influencing Systems uh, and then quickly got a product out there and uh, have been running uh, fast forward since then. So you're the founder and CEO of Influence Mobile. That's correct. Okay, I'll make, I'll make sure I clarify that. Excellent. Uh, and when did this? When did you start the company? What year? 2012. 2012. Okay, so you got 11 years of experience in there. Uh, what in the, in the process of growing this business over the last 11 years? Are there any mistakes you've made in the process of scaling or growing the business? Yeah. The so I had mentioned, you know, we, st we started kind of in this, in the toolbar business, similar to what the experience I had. And so we had worked with celebrities, uh, allowing them to create white label shopping experiences where they'd promote on uh, Facebook primarily, and then people could download. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, Facebook started really featuring uh, a lot more mobile users and kind of shifting over to mobile. I remember we had a partnership with Lindsay Lohan, and she she posted about her shopping rewards program and 9,000 people came in like five minutes on the mobile phone. And we're like, okay, we got a problem. You know, th this the whole desktop business is shifting. So we started building into the mobile business, but none of the, none of the shopping was as easy to do in the phones back in those days. This was about 2014. And so we'd actually uh, met with Facebook who had just launched Facebook audience network. And so we met with them and they said, Hey, we're looking for people to experiment with this. You can put our ads into your business and do whatever you want. And I said, well, that's amazing. Can I give people rewards for, you know, basically checking out your ads? They're like, sounds great. So we went to all the celebrities and asked them who wanted to go first. And everybody was like, well, who else is going? And I'm like, well, you'd go first. And so everybody passed. So we ended up launching around an app called Lotter Rewards, which was focused on this, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So people could earn points, basically uh, trying out new things or games and uh, and so that was amazing. Like literally with this partnership with Facebook, we went from $0 a day to $120,000 a day in about six months. And Facebook was flying down and taking us to dinners and everybody was very happy. But I knew there was a major problem because we didn't actually know what the person was doing. And so, you know, we had scaled from like seven to 50 employees and money, we were making money. But I had this sneaking suspicion that if we couldn't actually track what people were doing, that this was all going to fall apart. And so sure enough, a few months later, Facebook's like, Hey, listen, we like what you're doing, but this isn't really scalable. So we're going to turn it off. We don't know when, but we're just giving you the heads up. 
And so, you know, we went super fast scaling up and all of a sudden I realized like, you know, I needed to, I needed to follow my gut reaction initially, which was we better build a product that actually lets us track what app developers do. And so we started building this product called Engage and, and this year, you know, we're going to do like $70 million with Engage. So it was, but, but the, the, the store, the, the bad, bad part of that was uh, Facebook eventually turned us off at the beginning of 2016. We had to lay off a bunch of people. It was brutal. Like one of the mistakes to give us the maximum chance for success. And so we had cut down to like 20 employees and eventually dwindled to like seven. Uh, but thankfully we had started investing in this other uh, product, which, which uh, will probably be a question later down the road, but it was very, uh, you know, it was a very big learning opportunity for me because instead of focusing on, you know, what I thought other people uh, thought were important, I should have focused on, you know, how do I cut the most amount of employees and treat them all fairly, but make sure we maximize our chances for success. So walk me through what Influence Mobile does. Are you reaching out to business owners? Are you look, you know, how are you, like who is your target market? Who are you trying to develop relationships with? Sure, so we, we are like an airline rewards uh, program for people who play games, primarily females, 35 plus. So our, the customers who pay us are typically the largest game developers in the world. And they, they pay us anywhere from five to $25 to get these people to download and play their games. And then we take a portion of that money and we create a multi-month rewards program. So we'll tell people, hey, come in and download your favorite game. Here's a list of them. Uh, you're gonna get points when you get to level one and level five and level 10 and you know, even a level 100, but you're gonna get a majority of your points uh, when you spend money. So then what happens is in most of these games, uh, only about 5% of people spend you know, 80, 90% of the money. So they're worth a lot of money. So because we give so many points to these people, roughly 10 to 20% cash back, what happens is, I mean, and some of these people are spending $100 a day in these games. So over the course of a year, they're getting thousands and thousands of dollars back from us in rewards. So they're most certainly not going to want to leave from finding more games from us, right? So what happens is over time, we, we add millions of new users a year, really looking for those tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who spend all the money. And then over time we grow and we retain this very big audience of spenders. So every new game developer that comes on kind of finds a, a target rich environment for us. So, so we're a two-sided marketplace. We, we, we target game players. So people are typically playing mobile games on their phone five to seven days a week. And then the people who pay the bills are the, are the big game developers. Interesting. So going back to uh, mistakes you made while scaling, what did you feel was a big takeaway from that? What did you learn? Like you obviously mentioned earlier, things have to be trackable. And that was a big takeaway from that. Anytime you build any kind of platform, if you can't track the results, can't track the users, that's a problem. Uh, what would you say was your biggest takeaway from the mistakes you made while you were growing from you know, seven to 50 employees and going from you know, no millions to 70 million? Walk me through some of those takeaways or top three things you learned from those mistakes, something like that. Yeah. So, well, I thought I knew the game plan, right? So in my first company, we grew pretty fast. We, we ended up growing, adding one new employee every day for like two straight years. And we went from 20 to 300 employees. So as soon as Facebook took off, I'm like, oh, I know this game plan. It's really important. We hire smart, skilled people. And so we started interviewing and growing. That was probably a mistake, right? I, I should have done, I should have considered going much more slowly, even though things were taking off and, you know, we were a startup. So we, we were funded at that time by VCs and, or not VCs, but angel investors primarily. And so 
it's a collaboration. You're telling them like, hey, this is what we're going to go do. And they're like, sounds good. If you do it, we'll give you more money. So there, there was this process where you're not always just focused on what's going to drive profitability because we were, you know, we we're not profitable. And so I, you know, in, in hindsight, I should have done two things. I should have probably grown slower. And then uh, probably, I mean, it was, it would only be a matter of a few months difference, but that day that Facebook told me that this was going to turn off, uh, you know, we should have started building this new product. It wouldn't likely have changed any outcomes because we waited like, you know, six weeks, but, uh, and then the other thing, like I said, was when, when we, we did layoffs and I was very upfront with everybody. And so I'm like, you know, Facebook's turning off and we don't know exactly what that's going to mean. We have other partners that are going to come in, but it's hard to replace, you know, hundreds of thousands of advertisers spending money in your business. Uh, <clears throat> then I should have, uh, you know, we had like 50, we cut to 26. I should have probably cut to seven at that point in time. And if I would have done that, I could have probably given the, everybody we let go more severance. I had given as much severance as we could afford. Um, and then those seven, I think would have felt safer. Uh, we didn't have a lot of turnover, but the, you know, I regret, I regret the sort of long, slow slide from early 2016 to like middle of 2017, where we slowly just lost people because we didn't have money. And I, I would have changed that for sure. Sure. But I guess in the gaming world, there's lots of even flows and um, changes and needs. And they have to kind of see that as being a boom in business. There's going to be ups and downs. I think that's probably the hardest part of that owning a business is knowing when to hire and making sure you have enough work and making sure you have enough people to fill the orders. And all. There's a, it's a juggle. You don't want to be overstaffed, but you also want to be understaffed and then get slammed with lack of customer service. Uh, was yeah. there a certain time that you you saw like a big boom and then all of a sudden you're like, well, we need to hire more people quickly, but people may not have been available to hire and you kind of just, you know, put people in position to kind of train them as you go. Or was there a point where kind of, I think a lot of business owners that listen to these, these interviews, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges always trying to find the right number of people at the right time. Can you walk me through a scenario where you're faced with, hey, we got this growth, amazing growth happening and we need more people? Or vice versa, I really see this thing slowing down. You know, I don't want to be the person that lets them go. Can we put them somewhere else in the company until it picks up? So kind of cross train them and other uh, components of business while things slow down. And, you know, to kind of keep them employed without having to let people go. Did you, can you walk me through any of those type of scenarios at all? Sure. Yeah. So pre-COVID, right, right at the beginning of 2020, we were only seven employees. So we, we were still, right, so that was beginning of 2020. So from 2000. 17 to 20 to 2020 we were growing revenues and we were we were at that time making millions of dollars a year but the profit was still very very small it would basically break even and then uh i met a company i worked primarily with outsourced sales firms so i didn't have to add a lot of staff members so people who had existing relationships with game developers we'd start just talk talking more and more with them and so i met uh the ceo of a company called blind ferret and that company and i we ultimately merged but along the along that path, things really started taking off, and and I had to, I had proposed to him a, a a change to our business relationship where I kept a larger share of the revenue from the deals that they closed, but then I sent them more business. And during that time, we went from seventy to fifty employees, and there was this massive growth opportunity. But I had learned in my first company that kind of this issue that you had just mentioned, like it is not it is better to grow slowly and find the right people because it is very painful to bring in people who aren't a good culture fit, who aren't a good skill fit. And so uh, 
in our very earliest days, I, I had always kind of focused on, because we were a very developer heavy product, I, I brought in more junior people because they were quote unquote less money. And then that, that never really worked out. So as we started to grow, I decided to try to focus on fewer people, pay them more money, make sure that they're very happy, make sure that we don't have any churn. And so over the last three, well, really since 2018, nobody has quit our company uh, willingly. We've only, we've done a few people uh, for, for underperformance. And so like that is kind of the metric I've been focusing on. So we, we did have to grow fast and we, and, and so I, I, all of the initial interviews I do, I'm very focused on finding people that have a growth mindset, finding people who want to be part of a team. Uh, it's not about uh, them. It's about the, the, you know, the group that they're working in. And, and that has, you know, that has some uh, challenges as you're trying to grow because it takes a long time to get through people, uh, especially when lots of people are getting laid off because they'll tell you, you know, whatever they think you want, they want you to, you, you know, you, that they, you want to hear. Uh, but the payoff as we went slower during this growth period was we have, you know, we win best places to work awards and everybody's super happy to hang out with each other. And while we're all remote, we get together a couple times a year. And so the payoff of kind of going slow, really making sure you're bringing in people who are a fit uh, is, is worth the, worth the wait in money. 100%. Yeah, Daniel, did COVID force you into a remote work environment or was it set up there because of COVID? Uh, we were, you know, so we've been in business 11 years, as I mentioned. We were primarily remote before COVID. Uh, COVID just uh, cemented the deal. So we had had an office and in, in, uh, kind of during that 7 to 50 growth period, more people, including myself, were going into the office. But as we kind of shrunk to seven people, even in 2018, 2019, most of us were going into the office, usually like Friday afternoons to, to see each other. Um, but what happened with when, when COVID came, I had been living in Seattle for 30 years and I, I realized I didn't need to live in Seattle anymore. So I moved and started moving around the country to find sunnier places. And that kind of set off a, a massive diversification of where everybody was. We, we stopped hiring primarily in Seattle and we're like, okay, we're really not planning to ever go back into this office uh, on a consistent basis. So we're going to leverage the fact that we can now hire people around the country and even around the world. Uh, and so I would say we were remote, but we weren't as disparately located around the world. And COVID just had us commit to that more. And, and like I said, we have people, I think, in like 20 states and three countries. Uh, so uh, there was a, there was a shift, but it wasn't to the, like full-time remote uh, solely because of COVID. Makes sense. I would think that once you commit to remote, like you said, having people in 20 different states has its benefits because now you can really find the best people because you have a bigger uh, pool of people to pull from. Um, obviously, it makes getting together a little more challenging. Obviously, you can do Zoom calls and have virtual meetings and so on and so forth. Um, and I'd also think since Seattle is a relatively expensive place to live, uh, your pay can be a little more uh, competitive or more basic just because you're not having to deal with people that are having that high cost of living expense. So you can maybe you know, average out the, the pay. Did you experience that as you went through that growth spurt as far as certain cities, certain states, uh, the average pay was a little lower so you could start people at a, a different rate or did you just keep everybody the same rate regardless of where they lived? Uh, it was kind of a mix. It really depended on the role. I mean, as you know, the, the, the downside of, of that 
same processes, everybody was doing the same thing. And so, you know, a developer that's living, you know, in Texas or a developer living in Ohio uh, can work just as easily for somebody in San Francisco as they can for us, right? And so there was less of a drop in average price as you, as you might imagine, because there was strong competition from other people. Now, I think that's changing. I think as big companies uh, start to see the, the difficulty in, in keeping employee, remote employees motivated and they're starting to force people to come back to work, there's gonna be a bigger split and you're gonna start to see employees who really wanna work remote and wanna be good contributors, right? Cause there's people who wanna work remote and like you hear these stories of quiet quitting and people working three jobs and those kind of horror stories. And you know, and if you wanna do that, probably going to work for some big company and hiding away is a good, good way to do it. So uh, we have generally still erred on the side of paying people. Uh, we typically aim to pay people in the 80th percentile of their, of their skill set based on where they're at. And so we tend to not really cut them too much. Now, again, it depends on the role and a number of other factors on exactly, you know, the, the level of, of experience, but uh, no, it hasn't saved us money, but we kind of consider it a strategic advantage to pay people on the higher side uh, and keep, keep them happy. Sure. Well, obviously, if a company's based in Seattle, then the pay is going to be based on the cost of living of Seattle. And yep. if I'm in Biloxi, Mississippi, or in some city in Arkansas, uh, I would think my cost of living is lower. Therefore, I'm getting a lot more pay uh, for my cost of living than I would in living in Seattle or L.A. or Dallas or any of those other major cities uh, on the, in the west part of the country. So, I find that yeah. it's, it's interesting. so it can be definitely yeah. an, a, a draw or a differentiator between you and other companies that do similar things that you do. Yeah, well, for sure now, like I said, as bigger companies are kind of forcing people to come into some kind of hybrid uh, work environment, uh, paying people competitively and having a, you know, a forever, you know, remote work environment is an, is an appeal. But we also attract people because of our size. We, you know, like I said, we try to stay smaller and really invest in people and keep them happy. Uh, that, that attracts a different kind of, of, a kind of person, a person who wants to really contribute and be part of the team. And, uh, and so that's what we look for. And I, I would almost say that the people who come to work for us choose to work for us uh, for factors that don't primarily look at money. Like money is obviously the factor that is, you know, it's a, it's a baseline that people look at, but they're choosing to come work for us because of other things. And that's what appeals to us to hire them as well. And back to the uh, games that you're monetizing, uh, you mentioned 35 plus primarily women. Uh, could you give us a top three games that you find that are most popular? So those are listening that, don't really do a whole lot of gaming or mobile gaming can maybe look into some of these games because they're obviously addictive and fun and a lot of people are playing them. Are there ones that uh, would you say are, are your most popular games that you could share with the audience? Uh, yes and no. So I'll tell you the most popular category of game. So like some of our game developers are a little uh, conscious of us sharing too much about what they're doing, but the most popular game type is match three. If you've ever heard of that type of game it's like a candy crush game where you swipe and match things candy crush is one of our partners um so those type of match three games there's a number of very popular game games across a number of publishers in that category but we really have i mean we work we have 150 different games so i would say we, we work with a majority of the top 100 game developers from word games and puzzle games to 
you know, merge games is like every single type. And so what we really try to do instead of having it be the most popular, we try to figure out, you know, what, what appeals to a 22 year old female is different than a 22 year old male and so forth. And so we really try to have a good variety so people can pick, uh, you know, we usually give them 16 to 20 different options based on what we've historically known. But um, I can probably tell you that like one of our top game companies that we work with for a very long time is Scopely. So they own uh, games like Yahtzee, Wheel of Fortune, uh, and those are very, very popular games in our, on our system. Interesting. Yeah, as heard today, Wheel of Fortune has a new host coming up, which is kind of exciting after, what, 30, 40 years? <laughs> yeah, it's so, crazy. So it's, 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 you know, he does everything. He's on, how many different things can he do? It's kind of like uh, Michael Strahan. Like, how many different shows can that guy yeah. be on? <laughs> and uh, Steve Harvey, same thing. Now he's a judge. Now he's on this show and that show. It's, these guys diversify so much. Family Feud, obviously, has been kind of revitalized because of him. So yeah. it's interesting to see how these celebrities get into different game shows. Uh, so did, are you targeting, is the business as a whole targeting women or it just turns out that more women play the games? Uh, well, both. So uh, females over the age of 35, you know, they, they tend to have higher incomes, uh, tend to spend about 60% more in, in the games we go after, again, casual games, right? A lot of people, uh, you know, certainly like when I was growing up, everybody knew that like it was younger teen boys in their twenties who were playing all the console games. Uh, but in my first business, I started back years ago, a lot of females were playing the solitaires and the kind of casual games on their computers. And that just transitioned over to the phones. Uh, and so, yes, we go up to the degree that we can go out of our way and target and bring in females. We do, we make the, uh, most of our clients are these, uh, what we call casual games that, that females, appeal to, but, but, you know, we have 60% female, 44% male. So people, anybody who likes games can come in and find games that they like. And we have mid core games, which are more, you know, strategy games that take longer to, to play specific rounds. So we have a lot of variety, but yes, we, we do tend to uh, focus on that particular group. And, and usually it's even older. So like the females that are say even 55 to 75, are the people who are spending a lot of time playing games and, and, and spending a fair amount of money in those games. And so we're constantly working. Like we have a, a custom kind of like uh, we call the elite rewards group where they get uh, very fast customer support. They get bonuses. They get all kinds of special treatment uh, when they start to spend because we, we want to make their experiences enjoyable as possible. Very cool. It's amazing how people get into gaming. Like you said, it used to be teenage boys and early 20-year-olds and somebody doing college, and now it's become every age, every gender wants to play video games. And I think yeah, because it's gone mobile, I think it's opened up the door to more people to do it, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. I was just reading or writing, I'm writing an article, and you know, there's over $100 billion spent in video games these days. That's, that's more than on all live sports. Like if you look at all the money that's spent on concerts, it's like a few billion dollars and movies is like $20 billion a year. Gaming is so much bigger than maybe anything besides uh, like actually gambling. Like I don't know how big Vegas casino is, but when you look at normal kind of entertainment channels, it now dwarfs everybody. And it's grow It's supposed to be like 250 billion in like five more years. It's, it's like running away. And yet you think about the influence of athletes and movie stars, and yet the amount of money being spent in games is so much bigger than that. I'm wondering what the cultural shift will be, right? I mean, there's certainly been like Angry Bird movies and those types of things and crossovers, but you know, what will the world look like in 10 more years when 
mobile gaming is like bigger than every other form of entertainment combined. It, it's going to be an interesting uh, shift, I think. Yeah, I mean, the mobile phone gives everybody a console. Like, you don't have to go to a casino yeah. to gamble. You can game with your exactly. phone, and everyone's got a phone in their pocket, so it makes it really easy uh, to target all the people that have cell phones. Yes. So it's very interesting. Uh, Daniel, give me a success story. Maybe it's a, a client, maybe it's a developer, maybe it's a certain plateau of millions in a year. You know, obviously, something that kind of inspires you to become the founder and CEO of the business Something that kind of brings back the original question as to why you started to begin with. Give me a success story that you're just really proud of. Like I said, a milestone in the company, whether it be revenue-based or a client you acquired that's really taken the business to a whole nother level. Maybe it's number of employees. You know, give me an example of something that you're sure. just really proud of. Sure. So kind of back in the in the dark days, I was telling you 2017, 2018, uh, you know, we we were building this product out and I was starting to see some success stories and I was talking to this agency, as I mentioned, we work with a lot of agencies and it was actually the first time I heard the name Scopely. And so this agency I was talking with was like, Hey, you know, we work represent people like Scopely. They're never going to use you. They're never going to use products like you. And he didn't have a good reason why <laughs> he's just like, they don't know who you are. You know, so he, so I actually, from that call, I started looking at conferences where Scopely might be speaking. And so we didn't have a lot of money and uh, there was a conference in Seattle that actually had a a gentleman from Scopely on the panel. So I actually contacted the conference, got on that panel, met that person who was a super delight. uh, And he actually, I wouldn't say he took us under our wing, but he like listened to my story. He was a very good person. And he introduced me to the head of, of M&A, sorry, not M&A, so the head of user acquisition, the people who spend the money. And uh, at the beginning of, of 2018, they were spending like, you know, $10,000 a month. And over the next year, you know, without disclosing specific things, they, were, they, they started spending a lot more money. They really liked the performance. And we really built the product around them and they became really the cornerstone customer for us for many years. And they're still a very good customer and been around with us for five years. Uh, and so it took a lot of risk. And, you know, like I remember when I wrote the check for this conference, I was like, you know, I'm spending a lot of money. I hope this thing pays out. And then just to see years later, I mean, it's been very, very lucrative. And like I said, they're very happy with our partnership and they've been a great partner to us. And so I've always, like, I kind of view that as an inflection point. I took a no. I came up with a solution of how I was going to solve it. And I'm like, if I can't get Scopely to do it, I'm probably not going to get anybody to do it. So I need to meet with them, explain our product. And, you know, I am, I'm very proud. It was not the biggest milestone, right? Like it's, it was in the very early days, but that compounded into many, many of the other future milestones that we accomplished. Yeah. Just getting their buy-in, I think just did so much for your confidence and so much for the company that it just, it made you fearless. And when you're fearless, great things happen. Yeah. And then that, that led, you know, if you want one more story. So after that was successful, I had mentioned this, we bought this company called Blind Ferret Media. And so I was pitching the CEO to come and visit me in that same kind of time period, middle of 2018. And I told him all the successes of, of what was happening with Scopely. I'm like, you've got all these other relationships with the Zingas and big game developers of the world. I'm like, if you will just do with these game developers, what I've done with Scopely, we can, we can change our business forever. And so I, I gave him this proposal and that month we were doing like $30,000 a month together and they were keeping like 30% or 30%. So it wasn't a big deal. And uh, two and a half years later, when we acquired them, we were 
doing $4 million a month in business together uh, because they kind of took this blueprint that we built with Scopely and took it out to all these other game developers. And then, you know, we've merged and, uh, you know, they're, they're half the company now and they, they run our sales and marketing and user acquisition. So it was really big transition for us, but it, it was built on the success of the first story. So. Very cool. Well, Dana, congratulations on your success and uh, congratulations on watching this industry just explode and being a part of it. And it's nice to have a piece of the puzzle, a piece of the pie, I guess you could say as well, and uh, contributing to the explosion and the accessibility of gaming for uh, all people. Uh, leave you. our audience uh, some information like where they can get a hold of you, learn more, whether it be a website, your social media handles. I don't know if you have any coming soon type things so they can get some like the inside <laughs> information. I don't know if that's even allowed uh, or not, but you know, email, phone number, whatever you want to get out to listening sure. audience so they can learn more about your company and learn more from you. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I do most of my posting on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just linkedin.com. Uh, I think I N backslash Daniel Todd. Um, that's the, I, you know, I write for Inc. Magazine Entrepreneur. So I, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. Our website is uh, influencemobile.com. My email is daniel at influencemobile.com. Uh, yeah, people want to text me. My cell is 206-769-3722. I'm always happy to, to help people. Uh, you know, I was a Techstars mentor for a few years, so I'm, I'm passionate about helping people follow their dreams. And uh, I've overcome a lot of adversity. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm generally a good person to talk to if you're struggling because I can give people some insight on what it takes to keep going through until you find, find your path that opens. And tell me the website one more time. Make sure that listening audience got uh, it. Influencemobile.com. I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E, mobile.com. Perfect. Daniel, awesome. Congratulations on your success. Uh, continue wishing you more success and more gaming and more opportunity on the road and even bigger clients to come. Thank you, David. Appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. And you've listened to another episode of the Perky Collar Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in. What is the Perky Collar? It is a collar support system for dress shirts. That's right, over 18,000 of these amazing devices have been sold globally. How does it work? Lift the collar, add the Perky Collar with the long tapered ends on top, lower your collar on top, adjust to make sure it's even around the collar, and that's it. You've now transformed your droopy, saggy dress shirt collar to a brand new looking dress shirt ready to tackle sweaters, jackets, blazers, and the collar still stays nice and tall. How do you find it? The website is perkyllc.com. That's spelled P as in Paul, E as in Elephant, R as in Robert, K as in Kangaroo, Y as in Yo-Yo, LLC, LarryLarryCharlie.com. That's perkyllc.com. Get yours today, or if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, visiting or live here, feel free to come by South Park Mall's kiosk located between Francesca's and Toomey. Best entrance is Maggiano's and Cheesecake Factory. See you soon. Look your best. Have a great day. Perky LLC is a clothing innovation company. We solve clothing-related problems such as a droopy, saggy dress shirt collar, the pocket square that doesn't seem to sit still pop- properly. It unfolds. It falls down. The shirt that keeps coming untucked, collar stays that keep curling on you, and more and more issues with your belt, cracking, splitting, 
holeless belts are the solution. You can adjust them by a quarter inch instead of having to go up an inch or down an inch. What about that lapel you want to use as an accent color to match a dress or as a color accent to your wardrobe? This and many other fun fashion accessories are available at PerkyLLC.com. Beyond innovation, we also have fashion accessories, bow ties, you name it, from feather to blingy to wooden, even wooden ones that move, even wooden ones that showcase the skyline of cities all across the country. Check out PerkyLLC.com for all these great fashion accessories and innovative solutions. Are you ready to publish your own book? Do you have a story to tell? Does the world need to hear your story? Now is your chance. Go to https colon forward slash go go dot bestsellingbook.com forward slash perky collar radio show. That's right. It's as simple as that. They'll walk you through every step needed to publish your own book. And watch out, be ready to be an Amazon bestseller, maybe a Wall Street Journal bestseller, or maybe even New York Times bestseller. It all starts with a single step and having the right team around you. Again, go to https colon forward slash go, G-O dot bestsellingbook.com forward slash perky collar radio show. Look forward to seeing your amazing results.